You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Now there were fewer times they had to double back. And as they ascended a sloping hill, the forest became less dense, allowing them to move with greater speed. Just before nightfall, they crested a large rise. Tall trees provided cover, and there were a few open spaces for camping. They made no fire for fear of being seen, but the mood was cheerier than it had been the night before. The evening air was cool, but not uncomfortable. They snacked on their provisions and drank spring wine. But Benjamin cautioned them not to overindulge. Your packs may seem heavy now, but soon you may wish you could have carried more. Chase and Strom both volunteered to take the first watch to let Benjamin get some rest. Thanks, boys. I'll fare better if I can get some sleep. Sentry duty is no pleasure, and it requires concentration. Your first duty is to remain awake. Sleep has claimed many sentries, and their groups have perished. I suggest you try to achieve a restful but alert state. Quiet your minds and concentrate on your breathing. The trick is to keep part of your mind focused on sight, hearing, and smell. It takes practice, but once you master it, you'll be able to achieve it at will. Don't shout or make any loud noises if you spot someone, as that might draw them to us. Wake the sleepers quietly, and sleepers should try to remember to wake quietly. Our sentry's stealth may go for naught if one of us wakes in a panic, he lectured. I trust you will do your best to remain alert during your watch but I think it'd be best if you double up for now. Chase and Katrin take the first watch. Strom and Osborne take the second. I'll take the third. Periodically report to each other during your watch. Walk to where the other one is posted to check. Plan to alternate which sentry goes to the other. Changes will help keep you from getting sluggish. The night was quiet and Katrin dozed off during her watch. She flushed with shame when Chase woke her from a deep sleep, and she stood for the rest of her watch. When morning came, Strom and Osborne admitted they had also fallen asleep, and they vowed to do better. When they began their hike the next day, Benjamin told them to be watchful for game trails, likely watering holes, and streams or ponds where the fishing might be good. The land we're crossing now should be within our hunting range. There's a lot of game, but it's crafty because it's had to learn to avoid wolves and mountain cats. Animals are large out here, and they can be dangerous. Keep your wits about you. Deep in the heart of the Master House, within the mountain rock that held the most sacred halls, Far from the stench of the refugees, Master Edling paced. Here, fresh air vents allowed him to breathe freely for the first time since he awoke. 
like so many vermin chased upward by flood water, they had come to the master house expecting to be fed and protected. And like the great soft-hearted fool he was, Headmaster Groden let them in. It was suicide. With the emergency provisions stored deep in the mountain, those who dwelt in the master house could have easily lasted several winters. But with the boiling refugees, they would be lucky to last until spring. Even with strict rationing, they would most likely starve. We should send them to the cold caves with the Volkers, Master Baron said. They've got plenty of food. Groden would never allow it. The boiling fool, Master Edling said. He doesn't deserve to be headmaster. That position is reserved for someone with a strong enough will to make tough decisions when they need to be made. There must be another way. The problem we have right now is that the refugees are everywhere. Like lice. Thank the gods that Groden has at least the decency to maintain the sanctity of the sacred halls. If we could get him to agree to isolate the refugees in the audience halls, we could collapse the entrances and be rid of them. And let them starve? Master Baron asked, looking as if he might be sick. That's a big part of your problem, Baron. You've got no backbone. Would you prefer we offer them up to the Jean as slaves? Would you rather be a slave or die free? Master Baron sat for a moment before responding, but Master Edling's glare demanded he say something. I suppose I'd rather die free. You're boiling right, you would. Now act like a man. These are terrible times, and if we're to survive, then terrible things must be done. By midday, they reached an area where the vegetation thinned, giving way to mature trees that were widely spaced. Benjen scanned the valley walls, looking for another landmark. There was an ancient landslide, huge boulders and an enormous round of rubble that was grown over with moss. It looked like a sleeping giant leaning against the cliff, he said as he searched, growing anxious as they traveled with no further sign of a landmark. Wendell and I carried lighter packs, and maybe we were able to cover more ground. It was a long time ago, and my memory is not what it once was. They continued their hike for what seemed like ages, and still they found no signs of the sleeping giant. Benjen called a halt and looked for a place he could climb the valley wall. Maybe from a height I'll be able to see it, he said. I'll go with you, Chase said, following him. Katrin, Strom, and Osborne settled into the shade to rest while they climbed. We've gone too far, Benjen announced when they returned. Chase spotted some trees growing high and at odd angles. I think they're growing out of the mound. Great job, you two, Katrin said. We must be getting close now. I trust your instincts. After a short hike, 
Benjamin smiled widely. I think we're almost there. He walked closer to the cliff and found another set of marked stones, and they soon saw signs of the ancient rock slide. Chase and I will climb up first and locate the entrance, Benjamin said. The rest of you stay here and remain alert. You'll want to back off a ways because we could loosen some stones, he warned. Using trees and bushes for support, they climbed the rocks, nearly slipping on places slick with moss. In a loud whisper, Benjamin said, The entrance is blocked. We're going to have to clear it, and some debris may fall. Chase and Benjamin stacked the stones they removed to one side of the entrance, trying to keep them from falling. But a few still tumbled down the slope and crashed through the trees. The shadows were long by the time they cleared an opening large enough for Benjamin to squeeze himself through to take a look. The place looks about the same as when I last saw it. Let's finish getting this opening cleared, he said. From inside the entrance, he was able to dislodge large sections of rock. They took two ropes and tied them to a remaining boulder and tied small stones to the other ends. Chase and Benjamin tossed down the ropes, and although the stones helped to propel them through the foliage, only one reached the ground. The other caught high in the branches. Chase pulled it back up and tossed it again. This time the rope got low enough for Strom to reach it. Secure the packs, one at a time, and we'll haul them up, Benjamin said. Gather wood and kindling, preferably dry. Benjamin called down after they had begun pulling the packs up. Tie it off in bundles and we'll haul them up. Katrin and Osborne scrambled to find wood in the failing light, while Strom tied the bundles and guided them as they rose. Benjamin's request for wood meant they would have a fire, which was reassuring because it meant he felt they were safely away from pursuers. When darkness threatened to make scrounging impossible, they made the climb while they could still see, a relatively easy task when unencumbered. No one spoke as they passed through the entrance and stared at the sight before them. The narrow opening emptied itself into a spacious hallway which sloped downward at an angle. Perfectly rectangular, the hall was clearly not a natural formation, which was further evidenced by the worn scrollwork that decorated the lichen-covered walls. A short distance ahead, the hall gave way to a cavernous chamber. Its floor was littered with debris and the bones of small animals, and despite its relatively smooth appearance, it was pocked with small holes. A narrow opening in the ceiling let in moonlight, which was reflected by the still waters of a subterranean lake. As they crossed the area that stood between them and the lake, the massive size of the cavern became apparent, and the scale of it dwarfed them. The vaulted ceiling was almost invisible in the growing darkness, and the dark waters of the lake seemed to stretch on forever in the distance. What is this place? Katrin asked. Benjamin stood up from the bags he'd been unpacking and joined the others. Your father and I found this place by accident when we were looking for shelter from a storm. We couldn't figure out much about it other than the fact that this chamber had once been inhabited. 
possibly before the purge. Other passages once led from this chamber, but they'd all been blocked or the ceilings had collapsed. We investigated a bit, even built a small raft we used to explore. I bet it's still here. His eyes took on a faraway look as he remembered the time long past, but he pulled himself from his memories and returned to the present. Let's get a fire started, shall we? I'm hungry and I'd really like some hot food. We can explore later. Katrin got her tinderbox from her pack and started a fire. Don't make the fire very large, Lil' Miss, Benjen warned. We haven't put anything across the entrance yet, and the light could give us away. The cavern's big enough that it'll take up the smoke before it escapes through that hole up there, but we'll still need to be careful. The lake water should be safe to drink, he continued, but I think it'd be best to boil it first. There's a kettle in one of those bags. After the water's boiled, you can put the kettle in the shallow part of the lake to cool it quickly. Let's fill our flasks, too. Katrin and Strom set about boiling water and getting ingredients together for a stew. She was glad to see Benjen pull recurve bows, strings, and several quivers of arrows from one of the long bags, along with a couple of short fishing poles. Long before the stew was really done, they decided it had cooked long enough and fell to it. Full stomachs made them sleepy, and they were soon curling up in their bedding, letting Benjen take the first watch. On trembling legs, Nat approached the ruins of the Great Oak Grove. Tears filled his eyes as he beheld what had once been a sacred and beautiful place. Now it looked more like a battlefield of epic scale, like a vision of what was yet to come. Katrin. This was where she and her friends had come to camp. They were here when the storm struck. She had to be connected to the destruction. This place had been undisturbed for thousands of years, and after only one night in her presence, it was destroyed. The evidence around him only served to strengthen his convictions. He had to do something, but he lacked the resources and connections. There was only one person who could do what needed to be done. Miss Maris. Only she was powerful enough within the Vestrana to make such a decision. As he crept back to town, sliding from shadow to shadow, his mind was consumed, trying to find words to convince Miss Maris that he was right. It would not be easy, but he had to succeed. To fail again would mean certain disaster. Chapter 7 With dogma and aspiration, one can spin sand into gold. Ikar, the Glassmaker In the late morning, Katrin awoke and saw Benjen looking exhausted. As soon as she stood, he stumbled to his bedding. Don't leave the cavern, he mumbled, then flopped down heavily and fell asleep. Katrin used a stick to stir the remnants of the fire, and she added twigs to the glowing coals beneath the ash. 
she soon had a fire large enough to boil water. Kettle in hand, she approached the lake, and it shimmered in the light breeze, its surface rippling like the scales of a snake. Concentric rings added to the impression of a giant serpent curled around itself. She wondered at its beauty, amazed that something so massive and alluring could lie hidden inside a mountain for ages. Was something beautiful if no one saw it? Her life had been that of a farm girl, and she hadn't even entertained such philosophical thoughts that she could recall. But she had changed lately. Perhaps it was the bizarre events she had experienced recently, or maybe she was growing up. Either way, she knew she would never be the same. It occurred to her that she and the rest of the group, with the exception of Benjen, would be growing up fast. Curiosity gnawed at her, and she decided to wet her feet in the lake, if only to conquer her fear of something grabbing her and pulling her in. She let the water cover her ankles, finding it curious that little sand or mud covered the lake floor. The black stone was cool and smooth under her toes, almost too slick to stand upon. With the kettle filled, she pulled herself away from the mysterious serpent lake. The entire place intrigued her and sent her awareness into motion. So much of the cavern was obscured by darkness, her imagination bridged the gaps with grand images. Some of her mind's creations filled her with an almost irresistible desire to explore. Others urged her back to the relative safety of camp. Walking toward the fire, she looked up at the distant ceiling, which appeared to be a natural stone formation, in contrast to the man-made entrance hall. Stalactites reached inexorably toward the water below. When she looked again, she saw Chase about to walk into her. His head craned upward. He, too, was caught up in the majesty of their hideaway, and a fair amount of water sloshed from her kettle onto his feet when Katrin stopped short to avoid the collision. Sorry, she said. No problem. I should have seen you coming. It's just that this place is so mystifying. It's not that it scares me or anything, but there's a strange feeling in the air. Or something. I know what you're saying. And I feel like that too. I like it, and yet it frightens me a bit, Katrin said. Let's just sit by the fire while you dry out. Strom and Osborne came over to join them by the remains of the fire, bringing their mixture of nuts and dried fruit and hard, dark bread. As their eyes adjusted to the relative darkness of the cavern, they found they could see quite well despite the low light. Revitalized by the snack, Chase suggested they have a look around, and Osborne agreed to stand guard. As they skirted the lake, the walls began to close in, and the rock shoreline tapered to a narrow point, beyond which the water lapped directly against the nearly vertical walls of the dome. They couldn't quite make out the far side of the cavern, but they could make a fair guess at the distance. It was farther than any of them thought they could swim, not that they wanted to swim in that ominous-looking water. The place had a powerful energy, 
and the black water brought to mind visions of giant serpents lurking just below the surface, lying in wait for unsuspecting swimmers. They had seen no indication of fish or any other creatures in this lake, but that seemed logical considering the lack of sunlight. They continued on along the shoreline, which was relatively smooth and free of debris. Along the opposite shoreline, Katrin spotted an irregular shadow against the cavern wall. Moving in for a better look, they found the remains of the raft Benjen and Wendell had made years before. It looked as if they had pulled the raft ashore, stood it up, and propped it against the cavern wall. The logs were crumbling, and the rope had long since deteriorated, falling away when Chase gave it a tug. They left it where it was so Benjen could see it. Perhaps, Katrin thought, it might spark some good memories. When they returned to camp, Benjen was pulling the kettle from the smoldering coals. He strode back to the lake, kettle in hand, and it hissed as he placed it in the cold water. He dropped the handle hastily and pulled his hand away, then waved to the returning group with a smile. Well, did you find anything exciting? He asked. We found your raft, Chase announced. It definitely needs some new rope to hold it together, but I think it could still float. There really isn't much to see from what I recall, Benjen said. But if we find the time, we could lash it back together just for old time's sake. Then he paused a moment before addressing them in a more serious tone. We may need to stay here far longer than we are prepared for, and we need to get ready so we have food during the winter, he said as he walked over to where he had unpacked the bows and fishing rods. Katrin. You and Chase are both experienced hunters, and I'd like you to see if you can bring down any game. We can't afford to be picky. We're going to need as much meat as we can get. I believe there's a stream to the north and east of here. If you find it, look for a good fishing hole. I don't think there are any fish in this lake, but you never know. On a rainy day, we could try dropping a line. He handed Chase and Katrin each a bow string, and a quiver of arrows. Try to retrieve any arrows you loose, Benjen said. My fletching skills are not what they used to be, and I was never very good to begin with. Katrin and Chase strung their bows, and Katrin was glad to have her familiar hunting tool in hand. After drawing her belt knife, she cut off a length of rope and coiled it around her belt. Chase seemed satisfied with Benjen's bow, and he got some dried beef strips from their provisions so they would have something to eat while they hunted. I want Strom and Osborne to help me gather wood so we can build a small smoke room inside the cavern, Benjen said. We can also work on getting more water boiled, cooled, and into flasks, he continued. With the responsibilities assigned, they got their gear and set off. Be back before dark, Benjen instructed. Stay quiet and always remain alert. If you need help, howl like wolves. Katrin and Chase made short work of their descent and headed east. 
They saw a few game trails, and Chase spotted a couple of buck grubs on the trunks of some nearby trees, but they found no other signs of wildlife. We need to find water, Chase said. If we find water, we'll find game. They stood quietly, listening for the sound of moving water, but they heard only leaves rustling in the light breeze. Katrin checked the air for the scent of apples or berries, knowing that those too would attract animals, but she didn't detect anything. They turned toward the east since Benjen had mentioned a stream somewhere in that direction. Walking in stealthy silence, they were alert for any movements, large or small. Chase stopped to wipe the sweat from his eyes. It may be hot now, but there's a storm coming. I can smell it. I smell it too, Katrin said. Let's hope it waits until after nightfall to rain. We'd better get moving. A moment later, though, Chase stopped and stared, open-mouthed at a large eagle, which swooped in for a kill just a short distance ahead. Katrin watched in awe as the magnificent bird smashed into the ground and then, just as suddenly, propelled itself back into the air with a huge black snake in its claws. The eagle had to work hard to gain the air, the weight of the snake holding it down but it pumped its powerful wings and flew back into the treetops. They soon heard the screams of eaglets demanding their turn to be fed. Katrin and Chase pressed on, hugging the valley wall to keep from getting turned around in the cover of the trees. Katrin froze when she heard a branch snap off to her right. She and Chase knocked their arrows and took up positions behind nearby trees, but nothing emerged from the woods. Katrin was about to give up when Chase tapped her on the shoulder and pointed. A little farther north from where the noise had come, a medium-sized buck was following a pair of does into a clearing. Katrin took aim at the buck, the largest of the three. Her arm trembled as she held the bowstring taut, waiting for a clean shot. The buck suddenly flicked both ears forward and snorted, and all three deer turned and fled their fluffy white tails standing up straight. Taking hasty aim, Katrin loosed her arrow. Her shot flew over the buck's head, but it didn't miss by much. The sound of the arrow frightened him, and he turned aside, giving Chase the broadside shot he'd been waiting for. Chase's arrow hit just behind the buck's shoulder, and he reached the deer almost before it hit the ground. Katrin held back a moment and allowed him to grant the animal a quick death. She understood the need to hunt, but she didn't like to kill or see anything die. Chase would take care of that part, and she was grateful. She tossed him a length of rope with a sad smile, and he tied the buck's ankles. Nice shot, she said. Couldn't have done it without you, cat. If you hadn't panicked and taken the bad shot, I may never have gotten a good one. Your shot wasn't even close, you know, he said, grinning. It was close enough to make him hesitate and change his course, which gave you a sleeping bull for a target, she scolded and set off in the direction her arrow had gone. 
she pushed her way farther into the underbrush and caught a sudden movement from the corner of her vision. Stumbling backward, she found herself staring down at a large boar. She let out a yelp as she met the boar's eyes and knew immediately she had made a big mistake. The threatened boar interpreted her direct eye contact as a challenge and dropped its head as it charged. Katrin backpedaled as quickly as she could, and she could hear Chase scrambling behind her, trying to come to her aid. In a split second, she realized she could not possibly outrun the boar, and she knew her best chance was to shoot it before it gored her. She spun gracefully, pulling an arrow from her quiver as she turned. With practiced precision, she knocked the arrow and drew, but in mid-draw she realized she was not going to be fast enough. The boar was going to reach her within an instant of her firing. She leaped into the air as she loosed her arrow, and she heard the air whistle as Chase's arrow whizzed by. Both arrows struck the beast in the chest, but the boar's momentum carried its enormous weight forward and sent it crashing into Katrin's legs while she was still in midair. She felt a tusk stab her in the shin as she was tossed higher into the air by the impact. Face first, she landed on the still flailing hooves of the mortally wounded boar. Her landing knocked the wind out of her, and she was kicked in the face several times before she could get her breath and roll free. Fortunately, the boar was in its death throes, and the kicks had little force behind them. Chase quickly finished off the boar and turned to Katrin, who sat dazed and winded. Her vision clouded as her eyes started to swell shut, and blood poured freely from her nose and lips. The boar's tusk hadn't penetrated her leather pants, but her leg felt as if it were bruised to the bone. She sucked air through her teeth as she pulled her pant leg up to expose the wound. Her leg was swelling, and she soon had a large lump on her shin. I'll go back for help, Chase said as the light rain began to fall. I can walk, she said, but she winced when she put weight on her wounded leg. That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.